save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Hello and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast. On today's road trip, we are heading to Colorado to talk to Kelly Wolf. Kelly is a wife, mother, writer, proofreader, and a fierce supporter and advocate for the LGBT plus community. So welcome, Kelly. Good morning, Lucia. I am thrilled to be here with you today. Good morning, Kelly. I am more than excited to talk with you. And there are so many things that I'm curious about. But you've been on the Ellen DeGeneres show and won $75,000. You yeah. were called, oh my gosh, it's so, <laughs> I can't imagine being there. So I nice. can hardly believe I was there either. I had, I had auditioned like two years prior to getting the phone call. So I completely forgot about. I just assumed that they rejected me and I never heard from them again. And so it was two years after I applied that they popped out. And so I'm still, I'm still pinching myself about it. And you were called the Butai Grandma. What's the reason behind it? Well, I was an educator. And so I had my students had helped me create the audition tape for the show. And they know that I wear bow ties and men's ties, suit ties um, during the school day. It was just sort of my, I don't know, it was just my personality. And so when I was on Ellen, I wore a little bow tie and, you know, I have gray hair and a big ponytail and a bow tie. And so um, people on the set called me bow tie grandma. And so I loved that because I am a grandma and I do wear a bow tie. I'll take it. I heard something about you got hurt there. I did. I did. And so on the game show, there is this platform that's 30 feet high off of the ground. And if you if you miss the question, the trap doors open and you fall through and the audience has no idea where you disappeared to or what is down below. And but as a contestant, you know, there's a big giant foam pit down there. So it's full of foam cubes and you land pretty comfortably. Well, when I went through the trap doors, my knee came up and popped me in the cheekbone, you know, kind of like I went down in the fetal position and I didn't break the skin, but my cheek got really big and I started to get a black eye and they were very concerned about me. They took really good care of me and put ice on it and gave me some, um, 
like ibuprofen and tried to get the swelling down. They offered, I had to go on to the next round because I had won. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, we can film this tomorrow. It's no big deal. And I'm like, I'm okay. If you just want to cover it up with makeup, let's do it. And so uh, for those of you who find the clip on YouTube, you can kind of see that one cheek is bigger than the other. But the best part of getting hurt on the game show is that Ellen DeGeneres kept checking on me and asking me if I was okay and are sure that that you, you can go forward we can wait she was really sweet and kind checking on me she said she loved my outfit my bow tie outfit and um so she was very kind so I got some special attention from Ellen because I got hurt um so and it really wasn't that big of a deal but I had a good black guy I'm sorry <laughs> that, but I'm happy that you recovered so hmm? yeah It was easy. And like I said, I got some special attention from Ellen. So I was okay with that. I would be happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> And Kelly, what would you say are some of your best qualities? Oh, what a great question. You know, <laughs> I'm so self-deprecating. And sometimes I sort of just make fun of myself most of the time. But I've had three careers in my life. And uh, one is I was a, a, a proofreader and a writer for a fashion company um, that did work, um, has stores and catalogs all over the world. And so that, that tapped into my professional creative writing. And then when I uh, was done with that job and we moved away from that area, I worked for a domestic violence and sexual assault victim advocacy, where I gave one-on-one -on -one case management services to victims. And that really taught me um, my trauma understanding and education. So um, that really pulled on the compassion piece of my heart. And then I, we moved away from there and I ended up in the classroom and worked directly with high school teenagers. And they're the ones who helped me prepare the um, audition tape for Ellen. But that, those three careers, completely unrelated, made me who I am today. Really, that first job gave me the creative voice where I use words to tell stories. The second one gave me trauma, understanding, and compassion for those who have And then the third one made me realize that safe spaces for children and teens are really, really important. And all three of those have formed me into the advocate and um, uh, person that I am today. And I am grateful for those three very diverse um, uh, educational and experiences uh, because they've, they've made me into who I am. And I've written a book and I would say all three of those have been a part of my journey to To, to produce the book that I did. So um, thank you for asking that. I'm really proud of my sort of eclectic <laughs> education mm -hmm. to be a human being. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and you were talking about compassion and I think being compassionate really shows in your personality and especially with you being a mother of five. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I have three natural born children and then we had adopted two teenagers, two students that um, needed a family. And so, yeah, I've got a family of five. Now, sadly, in 2020, we lost one of them. My 24-year-old son, my beautiful um, African-American son, who was fighting addiction from his previous life before we adopted him, took his own life. This is during 2020. So Black Lives Matter was happening all over the world, but mostly in America. And um, 
COVID was shut down all the schools and it was a devastating loss to lose him. And as a mom, especially a mom of somebody who was battling addiction and alcohol, you know, I just felt you have a lot of self-blame, a lot of what ifs, should I have done this? Uh, you know, a lot of self-questioning. And so I was just devastated. Our, our whole family was, and I laid down on the couch and couldn't get back up. I was just laying there very, very still trying not to feel going to maybe sleep through all this pain, which of course didn't work. And so what's unique about my circumstances is that that's when I got the call from the show. Six weeks after my son died, uh, they call me and go, hey, we got your audition tape two years ago. The producers and casting department would love to talk to you about being on the show. And I didn't tell them that I'd lost my son, but I thought to myself, how am I going to be on TV and be funny and playful and joyful when I can't even get up and take a shower? And so I decided that maybe this would be the catalyst for me to get up off the couch and really face the pain and deal with it because I was not dealing with it on that couch. And so this, we were the very first production on the Warner Brothers set in Los Angeles to open back up after COVID had shut everything down. And so they were very, very serious. There was no audience. Um, all of the contestants were isolated in their rooms for six days. And we had to take four COVID tests before we even got on the set. So I was sitting in this hotel room for six days and I journaled and I slept and I ate and I practiced talking. And I, I began to invite my son's memories back into my heart so I could feel him again because I was trying not to feel at home. And I really faced it. I spent a lot of time crying a lot of time praying. And what happened after six days was I could sort of use my sacred imagination. Chris was my most exuberant, most celebratory, playful son. And he would be so tickled that I was going to be able to play on this show, that he would be my biggest cheerleader. And so I began to use my imagination of him being beside me the entire time. So so by the time I got on the set, um, again, there was no audience and everybody is in full, they're fully covered. They've got visors and hats and gowns and their shoes are covered and gloves. And it looks like I'm in some contagion movie because they were so serious about COVID, um, working through COVID again. And so I started playing the games and I imagined Chris beside me the entire time. And I was able to authentically play and express joy the entire time. I was so worried that I would have to fake it. And because of the work I did in that hotel room for six days, I didn't have to fake it. And so when I finally won, I was the last woman standing on the show and I won the money and they're celebrating. I could hardly imagine here's Ellen DeGeneres beside me and he, she has kind of a sidekick twitch that is playing music. 
and the cameras and the lights are all celebrating. I hardly noticed them. I just imagined Chris beside me the whole way. Now it didn't air for an entire nine months, you know, so most people don't know that it had happened, that I had filmed it just six weeks after Chris's passing um, because it aired nine months later. And um, so nobody made the connection, but um, I knew that the only way I could have done that. And the only thing that would have got me off the couch was this crazy situation that asked me to be in a hotel room for six days and to, to prepare myself to play. And I had to face my pain and I had to face my son's memories in order to do that. So it was a success, not only because I won, but because I came home, not healed. I still had a lot of healing and mourning to do, but by the time I came home, I realized I had hope that, you know what, I, I can link arms with my family now, and I can help them help them get through this. We can embrace Chris's memories, and we can we can do this together as a family. So um, it's strange that a game show sort of forced me to feel again and to mourn. But what a what a blessing the whole thing ended up being, and it ended up ended up being a source of joy actually for our, our whole family. So um, it was a really really beautiful experience. I was writing a fiction book, and after Chris died, I couldn't pick it back up again. I had no creative energy to do that. And even when I got home from the game show, I still didn't feel like I could pour any creative energy into that book. And so it was about six months later that I I kind of picked it back up again and feel like I could I could do something with it. And I was actually able to put Chris in the story. And that made me, that was very cathartic for me to be able to pick it back up again and do something creative for my son. You know, some people paint or sing, maybe they have a talent of um, uh, quilting or gardening. And if you can take the thing that you're creative in and dedicate it to your loved one that you lost. It is such a healing thing to do. Yes, Kelly, I, I can't imagine the pain of losing a child. And all this experience just shows how brave you are. It, I'm sure, was not Thank easy. you. No, it didn't feel brave. It felt ugly. Like I was a big, you know, crying grape on TV, but I, I'm proud of myself in the end. Had that show not called me, would I still be on the couch is the question. Would I, would I, I have ever finished my book is the question. I don't know. And so I consider it a blessing. And um, it was just, you know, it was pride. I didn't want to get on TV and fake it because I figured people would see right through me that, you know, she's faking being happy. And so um, it was pride that forced me to invite all those memories back in. And so, yeah, it was, it was a very strange, unique journey, but I'm, I am proud of it. And we still feel deeply sometimes, you know, it's only been two years since we lost Chris. And so um, we still, we still feel really deeply and really miss him, but we're going to be okay now. Mm -hmm. And your song Chris is portrayed in Mount Hope as being. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you a little bit? I'll just give you a brief summary. So my book is my love letter to the LGBTQ plus community. And 
Sadly, Christianity and other religions have been used and weaponized to marginalize this group of people. And in other words, they've used the religion and Bible to um, harm and exclude the LGBTQ plus people from um, worshiping and being part of the kingdom. And I wanted to entertain the idea that if, what if Jesus himself came down and said, you know what, I don't have a problem with people being gay. I just want a relationship with you. If he had come down and said that, would that change anything? So this fiction book is set in uh, Kansas. That's in the middle of the United States in modern times. And a young gay man is murdered in a brutal hate crime. And the investigation is one plot line. The second plot line is a conversation between Jesus and the young gay man that died. And they are talking about being gay. And this conversation between Jesus and this young man is meant to pour love and healing into this community. And um, so at the end of the story, not only is the crime solved, but Jesus and the young man are going to enter into heaven. Their conversation is over. And they look in front of them and there's a scene of a multitude of people waiting for um, the victim to enter in. And it's all different colors and races and people, ages, and there's animals everywhere. Everybody's pet is there waiting. And his dog, the victim's dog, run towards a beautiful black man and greets him as if they're old friends. And the victim turns to Jesus and says, who is that? Because obviously his dog knows him. And he goes, well, that's Chris. He's been watching your dog until you got here. And so it's just, and the dog jumps in Chris's arms and they wait for the victim to come into heaven. And it's just the quietest little acknowledgement that Chris is there. There's an old belief system and I don't know where it came from, Lucia. I I don't, some, I'm sure it's from some religion, but the, the old false belief is that if you take your own life, you don't get to go to heaven. And I, I don't know who made up that rule. I don't know where that came from. It's certainly not in the Bible, but I reject that notion. And so the same people who would keep LGBTQ plus people from heaven are the same people who would keep a suicide person from entering into heaven. And so my book gives hope to both those people. It gives hope to LGBTQ plus who just want a relationship with the Lord, but they also want their own identity and not have to change it in order to do that. So it gives hope to them. That's primarily who the book is for. But it was sort of my defiant version of hope to put Chris in that heaven scene. He's beautiful. He's whole. He's healed. He's young and he's not lost anymore. And so to put him in that scene was really, really um, cathartic for me. I had an 83-year-old woman tell me to my face, when I told her I lost my son to suicide, she goes, oh, that's too bad that he's not going to be in heaven. And I forgave her right away because I know that this is coming from a place of ignorance, but I said, I reject that. And I don't believe that. I know for a fact, I know in my core, in my knowing that I'm going to see him again. And I defiantly put that him in my heaven scene just to give others hope too, and myself. So yeah, he ended up at the end of my book in this little tiny scene in heaven and I'll, I, I love it. And I do believe I'll be reunited 
reunited with them. All of us will be reunited with them again. So it gives us all hope. Yeah, I do believe too. Yeah. Thank you. And Kelly, your novel is based in Topeka, Kansas. Hey? That's right. I don't know if your audience or other parts of the world are familiar with the Westboro Baptist Church protesting hate group. They're the ones who carry those awful signs that says God hates. And that is where they are. Um, you know, that's where they live and breed there in Topeka, Kansas. And I grew up there. So I know this group very, very well. And they are a character in my book. And, um, and so I, we had a very famous, uh, brutal hate crime here about 22 years ago. His name was Matthew Shepard. He was a young man who was murdered in Wyoming and was left, uh, uh, he was beat up very severely. And so the book is actually dedicated to Matthew Shepard Foundation and Matthew Shepard's memory. And a portion of the proceeds go to that. And his parents have done such beautiful work after his tragic loss to make changes in the world in his son, in their son's name. And so a portion of the book is dedicated to um, that foundation, which I feel really, really strongly about. And so the whole book is dedicated to my love for this community who have been marginalized and hurt literally physically and mentally and emotionally because of religion. And I'm not the enemy of religion. I love the Lord. And that's why uh, Jesus is so prominently featured in portions of this book. But I acknowledge that the sign carrying hate group Westboro Baptist Church are probably not going to like this story. <laughs> and so if I get protested, so be it. I'm old enough now. I can handle it. It'll just bring more attention to the book. Exactly. And have you seen, Kelly, any improvement in the culture of Topeka? Or is the majority still very narrow-minded regarding issues that affect racial minorities and the LGBTQ plus community? What is your opinion? I haven't lived in Topeka for a while, but I will tell you that um, Topeka is like almost right in the center of the United States. And this the United States is politically a mess. I know the rest of the world knows this, uh, but basically we have very conservative belief systems right there in the middle of America. And then on the two coastlines, we usually have more liberal uh, um, kind of viewpoints. And so while Kansas is traditionally right there in the very conservative area, I would say that Topeka in general is full of love and acceptance, and it's a beautiful group of people. The fact that Westboro Baptist Church is founded there and they make a lot of noise there, um, they do not represent the people who live there. And so uh, it is a scar um, and sort of an ugly, um, you know, skin tag of the city, um, this group of people that live there, but they do not represent the people. And I believe everyone I've experienced in Topeka and in Kansas as a whole are good people who want to love on everyone. And so um, I, I can't speak 
of uh, specific uh, political, you know, sort of leanings. But I will say that everybody I've experienced has been um, supportive and lovely and good in their hearts. So the the fact that this ugly hate group is there, there's really nothing anybody can do about that. And largely they're a nuisance that are ignored, but um, it's a good question. Yeah. So lots of good people uh, in the middle part of the United States. I myself lean very liberal and, um, but I'm also, um, you know, a real, real strong faith believer. And so uh, we're all complex. We're not just one thing, you know? So um, thank you for asking, but uh, everybody I know is, is lovely and good and, and, and not represented by that hate group in Topeka. And Kelly, what are some ways you incorporate your faith and spirituality into your everyday life? Oh, good question. Well, um, I spend every morning with the Lord, right? I have my own little sort of devotional um, um, intentions in the morning and prayer. And I really, I I don't know if your listeners remember the book, The Shack. The Shack came out probably over a dozen years ago, and that really changed my life in some ways. I know it's not a sacred text like the Bible, but it introduced the idea to me that I could have a conversational relationship with the deity, right? And that I, I guess I always imagined my relationship with God to be such a submissive, full of humility and kind of face in the dirt. I'm not worthy to be at your feet, Lord, um, kind of thing. And after I read the shack, it made me realize that, oh, wait, this is a relationship that is conversational and ongoing and intimate. And it doesn't have to be always me feeling like dust, you know? And so the idea of the shack uh, really changed my, my prayer life. My, my prayer life became like, I was talking to you, Lucia. It was, it was authentic and vulnerable and silly and playful and, I, it became real. And so the shack gave me the opportunity to understand and experience God in a really personal way. And so so I would argue that my book is the shack for LGBTQ plus. Um, And so my relationship is like, I have my little devotion in the morning, but I kind of just joke with them and play with them and and experience them all day long and whatever I'm doing. And so um, thank you for asking that. Um, I am madly in love with Jesus. I'm not always in love with religion or church, but boy, do I love the Lord. So thank you for asking me that. Yes, of course. And I have to tell you, Kelly, you are lovely. You are adorable. Thank you. I don't always feel that way, but thank you for seeing into my heart. I appreciate it. Yes. And Kelly, where can our listeners find you and your book online? Oh, great question. Okay. So my book is sold on Amazon and right now you can buy a hard copy or a Kindle version. We are going to have a soft cover version eventually. Um, Um, I do have a website and um, the website's kind of fun because that's where I have hired someone to do sketches of all the characters. I have a song playlist that goes along with the chapters. Um, Also, you can find my blog and and sign up for the newsletter, but it's just my name. It's kellywolf.com. So that's spelled K-E-L-L-I-E-W-O-O-L-F. 
Com. and But if you just want to go to Amazon, you can find my book there. That's the only place that I sell it. So usually everybody can order from Amazon. So thank you for letting me plug my book a little bit, but I'm really, really proud of it. I'm getting a great, great response from it. And, you know, I don't expect to be famous or to make a lot of money, but if it lands in the hands of someone who wants healing and love, uh, that is the purpose of the whole thing. Yes, I'm sure your book can help many people. And that's why I'm so happy to have you here. We are Thank going you. to feature you on our e-magazine brand education. And you Oh, fabulous. Your story. Fabulous. Yes. And I wanted to know that you're always welcome to the RV. Thank you. What a delightful experience. And I love what you're doing, Lucia. I just think that storytelling and connection is uh, almost the lost art. And you have found a way to connect people together through story. And I am privileged to ride along in your little van. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure we are going to talk again. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.